0: Our study in the book of Romans has been extraordinary. I don't remember a, a series of messages for a long time that have been as foundational and really almost repositioning boundary markers as these messages have been. Now, this morning we come to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we were introduced last week to the first two verses, but we're going to take the rest of the chapter this morning, and really, Romans chapter twelve, have you ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? How many of you have ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse okay now if you 're vegan and vegetarian, uh, please don 't hate me for this. Uh, I respect you, please respect me and and, and but but i 've just got to tell you there 's one my favorite in in atlanta is fogo de chow or fork down a cow however you want to uh, uh, say it but these guys come to your table in fact they they put on your table when they seat you you don't need a menu because everything is yours but they put on your table this like uh, little hard stock uh little it looks like a button but it sits on the, on, on the green side up. And if you're a novice at a Brazilian steakhouse, they will keep bringing you more and more meat until you're, you're not going to know what to do with it. I mean, it just keeps coming. Now, the, Fogo de Chão has 18 different varieties of meat. And one's better than the next. And, and it's they come on these two-foot skewers. And I forget what they call these guys that run around uh, like, like they run around the restaurant like they're kind of catfish in a pond. Just They're everywhere with these two-foot skewers. And you get as much as you want. Yeah. Now, the novice leaves the green side up, and you'll kill yourself. <laughs> there, there is a red side. And when, when, when you need to take a breather and eat what you've already been cut, then you turn it red-side up. If you want to just savor the one that came, like lamb chops or, 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 or chicken. or who, I don't eat chicken when I go to Fogo de Chao, but they serve it. <laughs> it's wrapped in bacon, just so that, that adds a little something. But anyway, uh, for my buddies here in the front row... I I just thought you might like a little souvenir from today's message. Sweet. Sweet. So, Romans chapter 12 is like a Brazilian steakhouse. It's this plethora, this, this overkill of tasty stuff. And it all works out of the central verse... Uh, Verse 9 that says, let love be genuine. And it permeates the whole chapter. Let love be genuine. How many of you have discovered that following Jesus is boiled down to love? Everything comes, flows into, and flows out of love. Now I'm going to show you how this works. In Romans chapter 12, as Stephen introduced last week, the first two verses are all about loving God. And we're going to look at this more carefully. Verse 3 is all about loving yourself. Verses 4 through 13 is loving the family. And beginning with verse 14 to 21, it's about loving the lost those who are outside the family. But at all, in in every case, the theme is, let love be genuine. Now the word let love be genuine, it's actually it, it means without hypocrisy. The Greek word for genuine is on hypokritos, or no hypocrisy. No phoniness, no faking, no fluff. Now think of this. When it comes to your relationship with God, if you want to get anywhere, there can be no phoniness. If you're pretending, if you're posing... If you're coming to church and acting one way and then tomorrow morning live entirely different, you're a hypocrite and you're really, your love for God is not without hypocrisy. So the whole thing of your love for God is to be without hypocrisy. Your love for yourself. We're going to learn this morning that God wants you to love yourself. And he makes it possible to love yourself. In fact, it's only when you get to know yourself in Jesus Christ that you can fully be yourself and accept yourself and love yourself. And then the family. What we do here. Whether we we serve in the nursery or in children's ministry or we go door to door or we run a life group, whatever it is that we serve by being part of our church family, the whole thing is to be dominated by love. And it's to be authentic, genuine, without hypocrisy. Whether you sing in the band or work in the projection Or or pass out programs and welcome people with a big hearty, hey, great to see you this morning. Whatever role you play in the whole thing that goes on here, not just Sunday, but every day of the week, it's to be authentic. It should be because there's something inside of you that wants to do it. And then when it comes to the lost, to, to... You know, going door to door without an authentic love is probably more harm than good. But God wants there to be inside of every one of us an authentic love for those who don't yet know Jesus and are not yet part of the family. So that's Romans chapter 12. Now, understand that Romans 12, it's got 11 chapters before. And just to put this in perspective, Romans 12 begins the fourth and final section of the book of Romans. The first section, of course, is the wrath of God. And we saw why it is proper for God to be angry At people's rebellion, it's part of his jealous, ferocious, intense, unrelenting love for you that sent his son to the cross to die, to purchase you, to have fellowship with him forever. But we saw the wrath of God in the first three chapters. Then chapter 4 through 8 is the grace of God. And we saw one chapter after another that when Christ died, he not only died for the penalty of sin so that we could be justified and and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but he died to break the power of sin so that we could obey God. And then... Chapter 9 through 11 is that section, the plan of God. How God's plan was to send his son to be savior, but to send his son, he needed a nation. And so he called a peculiar people, the Jews, to be that nation through whom he would send his son so that through his son he might reach all nations and then when all nations are reached then before the fat lady sings he might pour out his spirit on his own people the jewish people and in mass many 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 of them will come to faith in jesus christ and we're living in that day hallelujah so that's the wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God. And now we come to chapter 12, which begins the, the will of God. Now before we, we deal with verse 1 through 21, uh, you, you, you need to hear this. Because this chapter will do you no good if you don't see this chapter in the context of the whole flow of the book of Romans. How is it that you and I can be expected to do the will of God? It's because of Jesus, and it's the purpose of the book of Romans. If you remember, Romans chapter 1, verse 5, gives the purpose. Paul says, I have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's the purpose of the book of Romans. Now listen to that. To bring about the obedience of faith. It's it's not the obedience of willpower. It's not obedience of a superior people. It's obedience of faith in God to do in us what we cannot possibly do without him. And the obedience of faith is what really chapters 9 through, or rather chapters 12 through 16 are all about, the obedience of faith. How do we become obedient? In fact, you can mark them. In fact, if you're taking notes, it's page 54 in your journal, And there are, in chapter 12, there are 45 imperative verbs. That means, do this, this, and this, and then there's a few, don't do this, sprinkled in. Most of them are do this, do this, do this, do this. Imperative verbs, do this. And every one of them are an opportunity for you and I to join Christ in the obedience of faith. Don't look at any one of them and say, that's not possible for me. No, everything God asks of you in Romans 12 through 16 is possible for you in Jesus Christ, but it takes faith. It gives you an opportunity. In this chapter, 45 opportunities for the obedience of faith. And then before uh, he finishes his book, in the second to the last verse in Romans... Toward the end of the book, it's Romans chapter 16, it says, again, it uses that phrase, the obedience of faith. When someone who's writing the book puts it at the beginning and the end, you can be sure that that's what the purpose of that book is. Now, with that as our backdrop, let's dig in. The first two verses, loving God. And, and it, it hinges on these incredible words, I appeal to you, therefore. These are the hinge verses of Romans. Therefore, on the basis of everything that's gone before it, the wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God, on the basis of all that, I appeal to you, therefore, by these mercies of God, the kindness of God. And what's the first thing he asks for? Give me your body. Yeah. Present your body. There are philosophies, there are false teachings by some Christians who uh, reject the importance of what's done in the body. There are those that, that can um, deify the body, like pleasing the body is the greatest good you can do, which is a false teaching. And there are those that say, on the other extreme, what you do in the body doesn't matter. You can have sex with anyone you want. You can snort all the cocaine you want. What happens in the body is not important because if you're in Christ, you're going to go to heaven anyway. That is also a false teaching. God says, give me your body. If Christ gave his body for you, he wants your body for him. If you never knew this before, God wants your body. God wants your body. This is why, frankly, and now's not the time for it, but it's why even what we eat is important. And in that regard, maybe starting with a Brazilian steakhouse was a bad idea. If you ate there every day, uh, you're way off the deep end. So, uh, anyway... uh, But every one of us, especially in our culture where we can go out and eat whatever we want, whenever we want, we all need to put governors on ourselves. And God bless the vegans, God bless the vegetarians. There's there's a lot more health there than we give it credit to. But if if you are a meat eater, you need to be careful. God wants your body, God wants your body. So he says, give me your body. Love me with your body. The way you act in your body should be expressing love for Jesus Christ. But he not only wants your body, he wants your soul. And so it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The mind is part of, it's not all, but it's part of the soul. Along with the mind, there is the will and the emotions are, make up the soul. And so to be transformed by the mind indicates that God wants you to love Him with your soul. But He also wants your spirit, your heart the seed of your affections. It's the spirit that's born again when you come to Christ. Now where is that in verse two? It says so that you will be able to test that you may discern what is the will of God. Discerning is not just with your mind. It's down in your spirit. That's where you discern. Now, just, just look, linger on this verse a, a little bit further, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good. I want you to understand that God's will is always good. Hallelujah. It's good and acceptable. It's not only good for you, it's acceptable in God's sight. And it's perfect. Another translation, if you are taking notes, circle the word perfect, put a line to the margin, and write pleasing. It's some also translate that pleasing. It's pleasing. It may not make sense to you today, but it'll turn out to be pleasing to you tomorrow. Always. You will never be sorry for doing the will of God. It is good and acceptable and perfect and pleasing. So, with our response to God, He wants all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength or our body. Then we come to verse 3. This is where we see the Apostle Paul shifting from love for God to love for yourself. And this is where so many of us, I feel this, of all the points, this is is maybe the sticky point. This is where we so often miss it. By the grace of God, help us. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now what is that saying? Don't have an overinflated view of yourself. You know why most people who have an overinflated view of themselves or project an overinflated view of themselves, you know why they do it? Because inside, they feel underinflated. Why act over-inflated when you feel good about yourself? It makes no sense. The only reason many people project this, this air of superiority. It's because inside they feel inferior. But look at the antidote. Don't don't strut around with this inferiority aura masking, or, or a superiority aura masking an inferiority aura. But look at the antidote. But to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment is accurate. Don't see yourself here, but don't see yourself here either. As Christians, often we stumble there more than here. When we're born again and we realize that we can't save ourselves, usually this is not the problem. But now we adopt this problem. We don't see the value in ourselves. This is why you will never Love yourself until you love God because it's when you love God and discover yourself in him that then he changes something inside of you so now for the first time you can accept yourself for who you are based on the fact that if God can handle me, I ought to be able to handle myself. If he loved me enough to die on the cross for me, maybe there is some value somewhere down in my life. That's why the Bible says that God, Psalm 3, verse 3, you can put that in the margin on page 54, next to verse 3, Psalm 3, verse 3. Isn't that something? Romans 12, 3, Psalm 3, 3. It calls God the lifter of your head. Why? Because we all tend to do this. We get down on life. We get down on our circumstances. We get down on our spouse. We get down on our kids. We get down on ourselves. And he's the lifter of our head. Don't look down on yourself. See yourself accurately. With sober judgment. Now the last few words in verse (laughs) 3. That's why I love the Bible. It's perfect. How do we do this? How do we gain an accurate view of ourselves? It says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to him. Now what is faith? Again, if you're taking notes, write this in your margin. Faith is trusting God to do what you cannot do. That's faith. There is no faith apart from that. Trusting God to do what you cannot do. So if looking at ourselves accurately is contingent on the measure of faith that's been assigned to us, it's almost like saying, see yourself for what you can't do. But you're trusting God to do. Because God can handle your can'ts. God can handle your inabilities. God can handle your failures. so powerful. Then we come to the third portion of Romans 12. We've seen the love God in the first two verses. We've seen love yourself in the third verse. Now verses 4 through 13. These ten verses are on loving the family. And it's so beautiful. Just like a family has an identity... We as a family find our identity in the one true God whose son is Jesus Christ, who made us part of the family. And just like your body has hands and feet and toes and fingers and neck and torso and head and and eyes and all the the organs and inside you've got the lungs and heart and and you've got the, the... uh, digestive system and your, your uh, all the systems of your body but when you see me in the, in the morning you don't say hi circulatory system you say hey Fred hi pastor so as a family we see each other but as we see each other we are part of one body with Christ as the head. So there is diversity, but there's unity. There are things that we all do in loving each other, and there's things that we have as gifts and abilities to love each other distinctly. And that's where Paul here lists the seven, what we refer to as the motivational gifts. These are spiritual abilities, or we just call them abilities, abilities, that God gave supernaturally the moment you were born again. And there's seven of them. We put them in two categories. There's three speaking gifts, prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. And there's four serving gifts, the gift of service, the gift of leadership, the gift of giving, and the gift of mercy. And of those seven, now listen carefully, of those seven gifts... If you are born again, I guarantee you, you have not only one, but you have a blend of those seven. Now, um, between Sherry and I, there's one of the seven we do not have. And I will tell you later in private which one that is. Um, But God's grace makes up for those things. But anyway... But here's what I want you to understand. Every one of us not only has a perfect blend of those seven gifts, no two of us have the exact same blend. So those with the gift of teaching, they'll express that gift, you can, maybe 50 people in our church have that gift, and we all express it a little differently because of the blend of the other gifts, But functioning with those gifts gives every one of us not only dignity, but it gives us identity, and it gives us uniqueness. It's our fingerprint. It's our DNA. And the beauty of these seven gifts is that we not only do them now, we're going to be using these seven for all eternity. This is practice now. Now. But then we're going to get to do it forever and ever. The same gifts we learn to use here, we get to use forever. Hallelujah. So there's distinct ways that we function. And then after those distinct gifts, that's where Paul says, let love be genuine. In your use of the gifts, the way each of you serve the, the, the family... Make sure there's no phoniness to it. Do it authentically. And then it's almost like, the picture I have of the verses that come after verse nine is like a paintball gun. How many of you guys have ever done paintball? Oh, I wish I had. I haven't. Some of you, somebody needs to take me out and go do paintball. But instead of paint, I want you to picture blessing. I want you to picture Empowerment. I want you to picture like balls of anointing and empowerment. Yep. And Paul like unleashes with a machine gun of not paintballs, but blessing balls. Amen. Listen to this. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in spirit, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Um, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's like bam, 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 bam. bam. This isn't like once in a while. These are empowerments for all of us. Every one of them gives us an opportunity for an obedience of faith. Oh, but I'm kind of introverted and I don't know about hospitality. Try it. God will bless you in it. I promise you. Every one of them are for every one of us. But then we come to verse 14. It's the fourth part of chapter 12. And this is so powerful. These words, uh, 14 through 21, are literally some of the most profound words ever recorded. These are masterful. And they are timely. I don't want any of us to tune out this last section about loving the lost. If you think persecution is for a few people and not for us, those days are over. If you are going to walk in integrity, and link yourself to Jesus at school or in the business community or as a teacher, you will be misunderstood and you will be marginalized. Those who have positions of notoriety... How did you respond when you saw that Justin Bieber has made profession of faith and that his his wife, uh, Baldwin, has made profession of faith with him and they wanted a Christian marriage and they've been baptized and they're being discipled? How did you respond? People change. We need to be praying for Justin and his wife. And Drew Brees, quarterback for the, the rival New Orleans Saints, he came out a, a week ago with a brilliant video encouraging the movement. I think it's taking place October 3rd, but it's Bring Your Bible to School. And he's, he has already been marginalized because of that video. This past week, there was a bill in front of the parliament in India to outlaw conversion so that if someone led a friend, a neighbor, a business associate, a family member to Christ, they could be imprisoned. And the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, he said to my spirit, Fred, it won't be long. Maybe not imprisoned literally, but marginalized. These guys know what I'm talking about. But with this as the context, I just have to read these words. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, don't retaliate. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Twenty years ago, we could have skipped over those verses and thought they, they really don't apply to us as, as Americans, especially here in the South, but they do today. Now, here's the deal. There is a progression. The first call of God is the invitation to receive and respond to His love for you and lead you into a covenant love relationship with Him. It starts with loving God. Then He teaches you to love yourself, that you're okay, that you're going to make it that those things you hated about yourself, he loves you anyway, and he will handle. Yes. Then he brings you into the family, and he gives you specific ways and unique ways to serve the family, and your love, you can love others authentically. But this fourth dimension of love is the consummate identification with Christ. It is when a person so links themselves with Christ that they are willing to withstand whatever treatment you're going to give to Jesus, I'm there. You can treat me that way also. The cross. How did you fall in love with God? It's because of the cross. Put this in your margin. Romans 5, 8. In this, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love him because he first loved us. How do we love ourselves? It's through the cross. The rotten stuff that I've done has already been paid for. It's not holding me captive anymore. My identity is not determined by what I used to be. My identity is now determined by who I am in Jesus Christ. And I love myself, not here, not here, but here. For who I am today in Christ. And how do we love each other as family? It's because we got the same father. Amen. But then this fourth one, what is it that propels us to go door to door? What is it that is gonna get some of us out of our comfort zone to s- say, I wanna start a life group. I wanna be part of a new house church to reach unchurched people. What's going to do that? Christ. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If it takes my time, if it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes, it's okay because it's not about that, it's about him. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I will never forget, I was a teenager, I read those words, and Christ used those words to nail me. And it happened when I was in high school. And I said, Lord, I don't know all that this means, but I will deny myself. I will take on my cross, and I will follow you. And I can remember, it was just as if I got down on the cross, and I identified with my union with Christ. And then I got up and thought, well, good. That took care of that. Um, Let's get back to business. And the Lord said, uh, "Friend, where are you going? And then he showed me a verse in Luke chapter 9. Uh, Verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. I was good with that. And take up his cross. What is that? Daily and follow me. Okay, so he gets me back there. Lord, daily. I get up. Uh, Fred, where are you going? Oh, sorry, Lord. Daily. There is a. Now, now. Does this mean suffering for me? No! There's no suffering. For, for Jesus, there was suffering. But we don't take that cross of suffering. We do not pay for one ounce of our guilt and shame. God does not retaliate against you. He's already retaliated against his son. When we link with Jesus, we are not paying by our sufferings for anything. This is where we find ourselves. Amen. This is where he frees us from our twisted nature. From, he delivers us from our selfishness, from our brokenness, and he heals us on every level, spirit, soul and body. You want to demonstrate you you want to demonstrate your love for God, lay down your life for him. Die to your old self and you will discover who you are, really. You want to love one another in the family. It flows out of here. And when it says, bless those who persecute you. Why? Because they are helping you unite with Christ. They're helping you grow up when you get mocked, when people text nasty things about you, they'll, they'll laugh and say crude things when you walk down the hallway because you've taken a stand for Jesus. Yeah. Count it joy. Yeah. I don't feel sorry for you for a minute. Amen. I am happy for you. Yes. Because you have an opportunity to link yourself with Jesus. Don't feel sorry for the persecuted church. One of our dear members came this morning and she said with tears running down her face, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done for me and my family. She's been here about two years with her family. And she said, tomorrow morning I get a plane and fly back to my country and I don't know what's gonna happen to me. And there were tears coming down my cheeks as well. I had my picture taken with this dear woman not to post anywhere because I can't. Her life would be in jeopardy if I posted that picture. But I'm going to flip it open every day and say, Lord, when I grow up, I want to be like that. Mm. I call you to grow up. To grow up into maturity. To grow up into authenticity. Yes, sir. To grow up in specific expressions of your love for God. Specific expressions of your love for yourself. Specific expressions of your love for the family. And specific expressions of your love for lost people. And in Romans chapter 12, there are 45 ways... You can give expression to authentic love. Would you stand with me, please?